0: I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, Will he find faith on the earth?
1: Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in all of creation, but explicitly revealing yourself to us through your word and through the person of Jesus. You have shown us what the character of God is like. You've shown us what our created purpose is. So as we approach your word, may we approach with humility to learn from you. your spirit come and do more than I ever could. As we hear this word spoken this morning, we reflect on the fact that you are a just God who promises to move quickly. And yet I confess that I often can get frustrated by your timing. But as I look back over my life, I can look and see in the past the ways in which your timing has been perfect to draw me closer to you. So, Father, this morning, may we have a trust of you. Um, I pray with Paul as he writes in Ephesians. I pray that you would do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work within us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's in His name that we pray and ask, Amen. You may be seated. Uh, some of you may know that ever since I was a child, I've had a dream of being a stand-up comedian. I, I love stand-up comedy. I, I love the way comedy like lets you put down your guard, take away your masks, um, and, and, and comedy just like really brings me to life. So I've had this dream since I was a kid to do stand-up comedy. Now, I love some good uh, one-liners like a Dimitri Martin, Um, but my favorite type of comedian is the type who will tell a story and he'll intertwine this story throughout his comedy set and you don't know at which point he'll make you laugh or because of his story, he actually brings you to tears. There's a comedian that I love whose name is Hassan Minaj and he has this amazing special gift for telling a story That engages your mind, but it also engages your heart. And somehow in a comedy set, you leave changed. Now, Jesus was a masterful storyteller. And his stories or or parables have become so common over the last 2,000 years that phrases like good Samaritan or prodigal son are well known even outside the church especially for their general moral principles. However, Jesus is not simply giving us a moral principle when he gives us the parables because he's also drawing out for us a picture of the character of God every time he shares a parable. Two weeks ago, Robert walked us through the parable of the prodigal son whose primary message is about this extravagantly forgiving father. And that's an image for us of the extravagantly forgiving God. Now Jesus also used parables as an opportunity to kind of draw a line in the sand. His parables would, would, people would surround him and his parables after he would share them would either have folks like the disciples lean in and ask him more questions or push them away, be confused by him, disinterested by him. It was this way with his stories It was this way with his direct teachings, with his miracles, with his healings. Everything about Jesus caused people either to lean in more or to walk away perplexed or angry even. And last week we saw this in the parable of the sower and how this farmer planted the seed, which Jesus calls the word of God in four different types of soil to show us the right conditions for the gospel to grow roots and then grow fruit. And so this week, we continue. We turn our attention to Luke chapter 18 to find the story that Jesus tells about a legal dispute that a woman had that she kept bringing to a judge. Before we look at the characters in this passage, would you look with me at verse number one? Jesus, or Luke writes, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This little introduction to the parable is really, really helpful. It has a couple of really awesome uh, uses. First, it's like a purpose statement. It tells us what's about to follow, what it means, why it's said. It helps you know that as I preach this message, like is Chris in line with what Jesus is talking about? Because he says it right here. This is what it's about. You should pray and not give up. Another thing that's beautiful about this little purpose statement is it actually perfectly illustrates to us the importance or the the, the usefulness of the parables. Because if I just got up here and said, hey, listen, Jesus said, pray and don't give up. Amen. You may be dismissed. Like, that's going to be a memorable sermon because it's the shortest one you've ever heard, but it won't actually affect your heart. And these parables have some power to affect our heart that a simple statement sometimes does not have. So by hearing this parable about a widow who has been wronged and who's going to a judge who is equally wronging her by not giving her justice, you can feel the weight and the power, the heart behind Jesus' command to us. In our Instant gratification, TV and movie streaming, Amazon Prime, shipping, like impatient culture. This message that Jesus shares with us about praying and not giving up, about persistence in prayer for something that you want or need, is a perfectly timed message for us. So this morning we're going to take a look at this parable through the lens of the three characters that Jesus gives to us, which is the unjust judge a persistent widow, and a just God. So in verse 2, Jesus says, In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. In this patriarchal society in which Jesus lived, widows were among the most vulnerable and sometimes even still are today. So under Jewish law, God says that's these especially vulnerable people are who the justice system is designed to care for. Several months ago, you may recall, I preached on Micah 6.8, and I brought up this quartet of the vulnerable, and these are the people that God wants us to care for, the widows, the orphans, the poor, and the sojourners, or more in our context, maybe refugees. God calls all of his people to act justly, especially to these people groups. They're more susceptible to danger. They're more susceptible to be taken advantage of. And judges especially are to protect people like this widow. Now Jesus doesn't tell us where this fictional town is, but one might assume it's within the nation of Israel. But this judge is described as one who does not fear God or care what people think. In fact, Jesus is so adamant about this judge's character or lack thereof that he actually doubles down on this in his story and has the judge say about himself, I don't care what God thinks. I don't fear God or care what people think. He has no respect for God. He he has no respect for man. He cares only for himself and his power and his comfort. And he reminds me of the greatest Disney movie of all time, The Emperor's New Groove. Emperor, come on, Robert. Emperor Cusco, Emperor Cusco, cares only about himself. He does not care about the old man who comes to him, who messes up his little dance, his little jig, and so he throws him out of a window. He doesn't care about this family that he plans to displace just so he can have a summer home. He doesn't, pl- he doesn't care about his right-hand lady who's been by his side all the years of his life. He fires her in an instant without any heart. He cares only about himself. That's the type of character that we see in the unjust judge. Jesus tells us about this judge's character to set the stage for how he will later contrast this judge with the just God. This judge feels no compassion for the widow and how she's been wronged. And in fact, he doesn't even care about the fact that he is wronging her by not giving her justice. This judge feels no pressure from society about his reputation for being an unjust judge. And this judge feels no conviction about any possible just judgment he might receive from God for being an unjust judge. He's only self-indulgent and self-protective. And so in the midst of the meeting this judge, we also meet the second character of the parable, which is the widow. One commentator, a uh, commentary that I consulted with this week actually calls this entire thing like the parable of the nagging widow. Like that sounds much more negative than the persistent widow, which sounds very nice and wonderful. But the nagging widow, which reminds me of like last Saturday, my family, we went to Jonesboro, we had some errands to run. We found ourselves at Target and my five-year-old son, who every time we go to a store asks, Daddy, if I'm good, can I have a treat? And at Target, he found no less than 918 different treats that he wanted. As that that could be my treat. That could be my treat. That $150 Paw Patrol thing could be my treat. I'm like, no. He almost wore me down with his persistent asking for a treat. He got nothing, by the way. This widow is motivated. She's persistent. She's consistent. And in fact, this line from verse 5 where the judge finally gives in and he says that he's going to give her what she wants, what she needs, because eventually she may come and attack me. It's interesting because the Message Bible actually gets this verse a little bit closer to what the original language is, according to some commentators. Uh, the original language is closer to, I'm going to give her what she wants or she's going to come and make me black and blue. She's going to come give me a black eye. This widow knows that in order to receive justice, she must be persistent in asking the judge to grant her justice. Because he's unjust and presumably has a reputation for that, she isn't going to take one no for an answer. It's possible her life depends on it, right? Now remember, what the purpose statement in verse 1 say that this is all about. It's about never giving up in prayer. And so it's about persistence, about having that type of mentality in prayer. There are lots of different types of prayers that you can have, prayers of praise or thanksgiving. But this widow has a very specific request. Her persistence might make you uncomfortable to think about going to God like that over and over and over again. If God's already said no, why would I keep going back? If God's not giving me an answer, why would I keep coming back? D.A. Carson says this, he says, God expects to be pleaded with. He expects godly believers to intercede with him. Their intercession is his own appointed means for bringing about his relenting. So scripture is full of prayers. Many of those asking God to intercede and bring protection, bring healing, bring justice. Many of these prayers are found in the book of Psalms, which is 150 songs of the the, the people of Israel. And some of these, like the prayers, would be psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving. Some would be a, a historical psalm that talks about their history. But the vast majority of the psalms are what's called psalms of lament. And every time there's a lament, they're asking God to come be the God of justice. These psalms of lament express with a deep, honest emotion the distress that the author is going through. It's usually David, or maybe it's the entire nation of Israel going through some hardship. These Psalms are calling God to action. They use strong language, and they imply a persistent plea. And one of them that sticks out to me is Psalm 6, which says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. And this is incredibly strong, emotional words. And these are the words that God has ordained for his people to interact with, to learn from, to emulate, to, to, to have prayers in your own words that are like this prayer in this song. And so the question you have to ask yourself, if Jesus says that this parable is so that you would pray and not give up, if you'd be honest about what you want and need with God, is your faith strong enough to be honest with God? Is your faith strong enough to be persistent in asking God to heal what you want healed? Wednesday of this past week was the eight-year anniversary of my mom's death. That day doesn't necessarily hit me any harder than other days, but I do always intentionally pause around her birthday and around this day to reflect on my mom, to think about, the life that we lost. Um, I take it as a moment to, to share with my sons uh, about who she was and honestly what they're missing out on. Um, they died, she died before either one of them were born. And so what happened was she was diagnosed with leukemia in August 2014, early August. And we prayed, and we prayed hard. There was a lot of people that prayed for her healing. And yet just three months later, My mom died. And so I think that this is possibly one of the reasons why we don't pray with consistency or persistence. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be disappointed by God. I'd rather stuff just happen to me than me put skin in the game saying, God, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this and him not do it. In fact, last week, uh, we have this new prayer team that's over here on, on Sundays. And last week, my wife and I went over and we prayed for physical healing for her. Now in this, I, I don't know that God is going to actually heal her, but I want to be able to have enough faith to go and ask because that's a scary thing to ask for. Now, this is one of the reasons, risk being disappointed is one reason we fail to go to God persistently. But D.A. Carson lists out a few other potential reasons. Number one, I'm too busy. So prayer can seem like this super passive activity, like I could be doing so much more with my time. You might think that the the best time to pray is early in the morning, but I can't wake up or my kids are in the way and I can't pray early in the morning either. If you're like me, sometimes you feel like if you can't do something with enough time, there's no point in doing it at all. Um, Pastor Jared and I, we both run. He likes to run pretty often for about a mile or two miles, I have this weird thing in my brain where if I don't run for 45 minutes, I feel like it's a complete waste of time. And so Pastor Jared is consistent in running and has overall good health. I'm inconsistent in running because I'll run once a week, once a month, uh, and do like a super long run and basically just break my body down. And I have this body and I have to try to hide it with extra shirts. But we feel like we're too busy and we don't have enough time. God doesn't call us to every single time you pray, you have to pray for an hour. Number two, or on this list number three, I guess, I feel too dry spiritually. You might think that I'm not getting anything out of this when I pray or that my persistence Or my consistency in going to God in prayer is contingent on my feeling in the mood. I'll I'll pray when I feel like praying. I can say that the longer that you remain out of prayer, the further you will fall away. I, I don't remember who originally said this, but somebody said that you're you'll never fall into spiritual health. But you sure can easily fall out of spiritual health. Next is I feel no need. And this is a dangerous place to be because in essence, what it's saying is I'm basically self-sufficient. I can do life on my own. I'm on the right track. But occasionally, I need a little help from above. I need a little blessing from God. And I think subtly, this is a lot of us, a lot of time, we won't explicitly say this, but this is how we operate in our life. Like generally, I can go through life without God. Every now and then, I need to ask him for some help. And finally, I think that we don't go to God consistently and persistently because we feel too ashamed. When we feel like we have failed God repeatedly, and there's no reason that he should ever give us an ear to listen to our prayers or that we're afraid that if we do pray that he's going to break us down, that can move us into prayerlessness. The interesting thing is it's not as though you can actually even hide from God in your shame anyway. Anyway. And so the best thing that you can do when you're feeling shame for that thing that you did or that thing you didn't do or whatever it is that's making you feel like you had this gap between God that you can't approach him. The best thing you can do is move towards him. It's now been six weeks since we had our 108 straight hours of prayer in this room over here and there. It was amazing. And I, I participated in it. We had some amazing stories that came out of this focused, extended time of prayer. People saying, like, I prayed for an hour, but it felt like 15 minutes. And I suspect if you're like me, you made some commitments in this room if you participated. You made some commitments for which six weeks later, you've already failed to hold your end of the bargain up. And I'm not here to to heap guilt and shame upon yourself because I identify with you. And so I think that this parable fell on my heart this week as a reminder to us to pray and not give up. That even in our shame, to move back To God when we failed Him. So the question is which of these excuses do you identify with? I mean, maybe all of them at some point. What are you identifying with right now? Do you feel like there's some gap between what God's called you to in your spiritual walk and what your spiritual life actually looks like? The good news of the gospel is Jesus fills all the gaps of our failures. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father advocating for you who so often fail to advocate for yourself. And though we may feel like our faith is not strong, our King Jesus is. So this parable upholds this widow who's persistent in prayer, and that's our challenge today, to remain persistent, remain consistent, or become persistent, become consistent. But like I said at the beginning, these parables are not just some simple moral lesson for us, but they also ca- give us a, a picture of the character of God. You see, in verse 6, Jesus contrasts this wicked, unjust judge with the God God of justice. He uses this lesser to greater comparison. And he does this pretty often in his teachings. In Luke 11, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And so if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Again in Chapter 12, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Later in Luke 12, he says, Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow thrown in the fire, how much more will he clothe you? In the lesser to greater comparison, Jesus uses an easily understood reality from our daily lives and compares it with the holy character of God. And So back in our parable in verse 6, Jesus moves from the unjust judge that this widow is going to to the God of justice. And he asks us two questions about this God will God bring justice and will he delay long? So in verse seven, Jesus asks, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And the implied answer, and then later in the, in the section there is, yes, he will. The unjust judge eventually gives justice simply to avoid the widow from continuing to assail him. But justice is the very hot heart of God. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you can be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. So will God bring justice? Yes. Pure Justice. He will bring you justice because justice is his nature. And in fact, he loves justice and he longs for justice for you even more than you long for that justice for you. While we pray for certain outcomes, we should also pray for a godly perspective because sometimes what we want is not in touch with God's will. And sometimes what we want is not what we need. And so if you were with us last week as we talked about the parable of the sower, sometimes what we need is that struggle that's in our life right now. Sometimes what we need is the wind and the drought that makes the tree strong. So Jesus continues in verse seven with a second question. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. This is one of the most difficult parts about being in a relationship with an eternal God. God. This week in my DNA, we actually kind of got off on this tangent. and We were having this uh, discussion about the, the age of the earth and the galaxy and solar system and like all this stuff and like just mind blown about how old this stuff is and therefore our God who has no beginning or end. And we were marveling at this God and his timing. And that, that's the frustrating thing because his timing is not Our timing. You know, his perspective on the 70 years that you may live on this earth, it's like that for him. It's like those of us who have no patience for Christmas. I will admit it's October and I've already listened to Christmas music at least twice. Amen. And there's a couple, there's a couple in my missional community that's even worse than me because they've already started putting up a Christmas tree. And not only do they put up a Christmas tree in October, they're putting up nine Christmas trees in their house. Like some of us go over the top and uh, some of us are impatient for things to come. And just imagine that impatience for something fun compared to the impatience that we can feel when we're in deep need. When we have our hurts, our sadness, and our anger, and our fear. We can be so impatient for something to come that we need. God promises to move quickly. And yet, that was 2,000 years ago. His timing is not our timing. I suspect that the surety that God will act quickly is actually in line with two realities. First, that when he enacts justice, it will be swift. So when it comes, it's quick. In the meantime... We patiently persist in asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And though he delays and it seems long, once the vindication does come, after the fact, it will seem so short. We wait and wait for something and the waiting seems like it takes forever. But then once it it comes, we look back and we laugh about how long we suffered waiting. It was this way for me last summer when I moved to to Paragould. I sold my car in Kansas City because I live a half mile from the church so I said I don't need a car I'll just get a bike and I, I decided to get a bike and I shopped and I shopped and I waited and I looked and I was waiting for the perfect deal on the perfect bike and I had to wait forever and I finally found it and I had to drive all the way to Collierville, Tennessee to get this bike and it's a beautiful bike that was a three week wait I felt like I was going to die in those three weeks and the funny thing is you can find that beautiful bike sitting in my garage collecting dust because I haven't ridden it in two months. It's like I haven't ridden it longer than that excruciating wait. So sometimes we wait for something and it can seem so long and then once it comes, it's just quick. Marvin Vincent even says, the judge delays out of indifference, but God delays or seems to delay in order to try his children's faith or because his purpose is not yet ripe. So the question is, what is God's purpose? Like what, what's the delay? What's coming? What's the answer? What's the justice that he's bringing? So before I get to that, I think that we can find a second reality in God's timing and that is that there's an absolute surety he will act with justice. As far as Jesus is concerned, the real question is not whether or not God will act, that God will be faithful, but rather the last verse in our section here, will he find Faithful people when he comes. So Luke 8, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's no question of God's faithfulness. He's demonstrated that in his ultimate faithfulness throughout all of creation, but especially in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. He's demonstrated that by giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus asks, will his people have a persevering, faith. You see, there was another persistent widow in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 2, we find this woman named Anna. Anna became a widow after just seven years of marriage, which means probably in her early 20s, she became a widow. And she lived to be 84 years old. And it wasn't until her old age, after going to the temple day and night and fasting and praying and asking God to send the Messiah, that she met Jesus as a child. Ultimately, that is the ultimate purpose of why God is coming, why God is delaying the consummation of the kingdom of God. This parable connects directly with Luke chapter 17 in ways we don't understand if you just start reading in verse 1 of chapter 18. You'll see in chapter 17 that what Jesus is talking about is when he returns again. And brings his kingdom to completion. So in verse 8, it says, when the Son of Man comes, it's like, what are you talking about? You are here, Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. What do you mean when you come? You're here. He's talking about when he returns. When he returns, will he find faithful followers? This widow is an image of one of God's chosen ones who are persistently praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. And so with that reality in mind, that this parable is about Jesus' return, about his coming again and consummating his kingdom in full, this is how we can ask God for specific things in this life. And though they not be fulfilled in the way in which we desire, we can know that ultimately he has and will bring justice in the end. This is why you can be honest with God about your longings and your disappointments. I hold that reality in mind Even as I still struggle with the fact that eight years ago, God allowed my mom to die. When I awoke on Wednesday, this is not my personality. I'm not the type of person who even reads poetry. But when I awoke on Wednesday, the anniversary of her death, a poem was in my mind. And I wrote it out. I have a journal I keep for my sons. And I, I wrote this poem out for her. And I actually didn't intend to share this until I was preparing to preach. And it just seems like it's perfect timing from God. So... Whether it's good or not, here's my poem about my mom. How is it time can seem short and time can seem long? Why would God bring this hurt when he took my mom? Is it really true that she's now where there's pain no more? Why would God prevent her from walking through my door? What would my boys love most about her? Why would God take away my peacemaker? How many days could we have played Wordle together? Why does God's timing seem to always take forever? How would life be different if she were here? Why would God not listen to my tears for so many years, filling me with fear that he's not really near? If the persistent prayer that God is describing here in this parable is about him ultimately bringing justice when he returns again, he's promised it and it will happen. He did not heal my mom physically in this life, and yet I have full confidence that he has healed her eternally. Because on the night that he was killed, Jesus spent hours in persistent, tearful prayer before the Father. He knew what awaited him just a few hours away. A betrayal by a friend. All of his friends walking away and deserting him. Slander against the holy God in the flesh. A brutal beating, being spit in the face, humiliation, pain like we may never experience. And so he prayed, God, would you take this cup from me? But what he ultimately feared most was not even all that stuff. But but for the fact that for the first time in his existence, he would feel the separation of God's presence in his life. But he did that in order to offer you life to reconcile the relationship between you and God by being the blood sacrifice that God's holiness demands because of our sin. It's the only thing that can wash away our sin. And though Jesus asked for this cup to be removed, the answer was no. Because there was an ultimate purpose greater than the momentary affliction that he would experience that night. He knew ultimately that God would be the God of justice. And if you're with us this morning and you're not a believer, the fact that God is a God of justice can, should actually be a terrifying reality for you because God's justice is an eternal justice. And we say... You know, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Nothing you can do to make God love you more. But that's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And if you've not trusted in Jesus and and offered your need to him, because that's the only thing we have. It's not your good works. It's not your promises of a good life, of cleaning yourself up. It's only the fact that you need him that's all you can offer. If you haven't done that, you won't experience the love of God in the judgment. But if you have, God's love is poured on you. He's washed away your sins. Jesus is advocating for you before the Father even now. So that's why we come every single week to celebrate communion. We we have this cup. It's a symbol of what Jesus has done for you. You see this, this juice. It represents his blood shed for you. And as you look at this cup this morning, Imagine Jesus asking for this to not be the way. He didn't, his body, his flesh, did not want to experience what he had to experience, and yet he did it for you. So if you're a Christian, like we'll invite you to come and take a part of communion. Our, our band and our servers will come. And we have a new prayer team. If you've not been with us for a couple weeks, we started a new prayer team. And so they'll stand over here to my right and your left. You can go to them for prayer for anything. If you want to ask someone to pray that God would reveal himself to you and you you might receive salvation this morning, go to them in prayer. If like me and my wife, you want to have someone pray over you for healing, you want to have the faith and boldness to go and ask God to do something for which he might disappoint, go and ask for prayer. Because here's the thing, he might show up and heal. One year after God did not heal my mom, we actually did find healing for something for my wife. She was unable to have children. And for many years, we had prayed for that. We'd actually given up praying for that. But in the midst of the suffering of my mom's sickness, we finally started telling other people about that. And they started praying for my wife. And God healed her. He can do it. Why not go and ask for healing today so whether you want to go whatever it is we have a team over here or you can come to me and we'll pray for you if you're coming to take communion we have people up here at the front as well as a basket in the back with the single-use cups but they'll tear a piece of the bread off and they'll hand it to you and say that this is the body of jesus broken for you you'll take that bread you'll dip it in the cup and they'll say that this is the blood of jesus shed for you so if you're a believer this morning come and take communion Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a just God. You're not like some, uh, for some reason, like the mythical gods of like literature pop in my head. You're not some like God that's just like playing with us as little toys. Like you love us deeply as your sons and daughters. So thank you. Thank you that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our brother. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for actually being persistent to pursue us, even though we have failed to be persistent in pursuing you. Would you bless our time? Would you be present with us as we come and take communion this morning? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.